Uh, the title of the message today is what? It's worth the wait. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Uh, you know when, when in an airplane, when, uh, when uh, the, the pilot comes on and then like, oh, hey, we, we are descending down to 10,000 feet, and, right? And it's like, okay, this is towards the end of the plane ride. We, the, the middle's over, takeoff has already been done. Uh, for us, we're on the, we're on the downward slope uh, to finishing the book of James, which is cool. I love finishing a book because you just feel good about it. You're like, yes, we finish a book in the Bible, whether in your personal reading or at church, it's just cool. Uh, but we got two messages left within the book of James, uh, and today is the second to last, so uh, soak it in today. Uh, but you guys, you guys can turn to James chapter 5 if you're not there already. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about the shortness of the time we have. If you guys remember at the end of James chapter four, uh, we talked about how, how little time we really do have left. You guys remember that? And how, guys, shh, shh. And how we can spend it the most, the, the best way that, that we can. Well, uh, spending a life well spent, right? Uh, and though life is short, which no doubt it is, isn't it true sometimes it feels long? All right, I'm gonna tell you guys, I'm just gonna take, take a pause, pause from the study. I want you guys today to give me some amens, all right? Today, I want you to give me some, some hallelujahs and praise the Lord. And when, when you say something, when I say something up here, which is really the Lord speaking through me, it's God's word, and you agree with it, I want you to be like, amen, that's cool, all right? You guys can, this is a place of comfort. I don't wanna just be the only one talking up here. Uh, and so let's just, let's get into it today, all right? Sound good? That's when you say, amen, hallelujah. All right, there you go. Let's get some life in here. But isn't it true, life is short, but doesn't it feel long sometimes? Amen. It feels long sometimes. And uh, sometimes that is due to other people. Sometimes other people make life feel long. And we go through different things in life. There's different uh, sufferings and different times where we get mistreated. And if you guys remember last week, uh, we, not just we talked about the shortness of time, but how some people with their short life, all they do is they pursue profit. Do you guys remember that? They pursue profit, that they pursue self, uh, their own self gain. And in the beginning of chapter five of James, we're gonna actually skip verses one through six, but I wanna give you just kind of summarize of what these verses are talking about. He addresses those very people who pursue profit because oftentimes in the pursuit of profit, you will step on other people to get what you want. There's a lot of selfishness and pride. And with that comes a lot of mistreatment to other people. And James is writing and he's warning those who are mistreating other people. And he's saying how this, is, this cannot happen within the church. And because all these people mistreating other people, uh, it's causing a lot of uh, shame. It's ca causing a lot of suffering and heartache. And within these verses that we're gonna look at today in verses seven through 11, uh, James kind of turns away from those that are mistreating people to the, those that are being mistreated. Uh, those that uh, maybe are suffering in some way because of other people. And we all go through this, no doubt. We all go through some type of hardship. And James is going to offer encouragement to keep calm and to keep going because Jesus is coming back very soon. I want to give you guys just the, if, if we could summarize all of what we're going to talk about today in just a couple sentences, this is what it would be. Listen, sometimes life is very difficult. Sometimes people in our lives make it very difficult for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 
James encourages us today to be patient because Jesus is coming back very soon. There's a blessing if we don't give up and it will be worth the wait. It'll be worth the wait. It really, really will be. James chapter five, you guys there? Verses seven through 11, look at it with me. This is exciting. James encourages the believers there and he says in verse seven, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. In verse eight, he says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In verse 10, he says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to come here and learn truth. Lord, that we, we, we're not lied to through your word, that we can trust every word in it because we know it's from you. And we ask as uh, we just come to it, that you just encourage us this morning. Lord, fill us up with your spirit, we ask, that uh, we would be excited about your word. This wouldn't be a dull moment. This wouldn't be a moment that we look forward to the end of, Lord, but we would be so anticipating, uh, Lord, you speaking. And be, we would, you give, give us ears to hear from you and uh, excitement in, in our hearts and direction, Lord, and the ability to obey what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Amen. Amen. All right. James chapter five. In a world of selfishness and this pursuit of profit, sometimes as Christians, you and I, we will get the short end of the stick. You see, Jesus has said that we will have troubles. When he was here, he said, hey, Christians, those that follow me, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have difficult seasons. And sometimes those troubles can be overwhelming. And here James gives great direction and instruction what to do in the midst of this. Today, guys, we're going to look at three different things. Number one, we're going to look at what to do. What are we to do? What is James asking us to do? Number two, we're going to look at why we should do it. Why do it? And number three, we're going to look at, what's my favorite, who done it? Who's done it that we can look to? But number one, uh, it's very clear. Why or what to do, sorry. What to do. What is James asking us to do? The command and the call is crystal clear. It's just two things. He says, be patient and persevere. Turn to your neighbor and say, be patient. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, persevere. Okay, you might be like, I don't really know what those two words mean. Another way of putting it is this, uh, be patient and persevere or stay calm and keep going. Now turn to your neighbor and say, stay calm. All right, now turn to your other neighbor and say, keep going. You see, this is what James is just trying to say. He says, this is what we are to do. This is the command and the call that James is saying that we are to be patient and persevere. This idea of patience or staying calm, uh, it's this, it's the ability to take and absorb difficult and irritating things or people, to show internal and external control in the midst of pain or unhappiness, 
to be even-tempered while going through trying circumstances. It's, it's, saying, it's saying, life is difficult right now, but God, I'm going to trust you. It's not discounting the pain as if it's not there and saying, this isn't hard. It's not that, but it's saying, I'm going to trust you through the pain. It's that ability to have a calmness of spirit in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the storm. It's that focus and determination not to let outside circumstances affect your actions. It's this patience. Think about someone not having patience. What do you think about how would someone act if they're not having patience? What do you think? Yeah. Right, they're like, come on, come on, let's go. They're, they're, they're kind of freaking out. Yeah, antsy for sure, yep. The frustrated, they're upset, right? And they're, and they're letting people know about it. I'm done waiting, right? I'm not being patient. Uh, they start complaining, right? That, that's kind of a, a patient person or an unpatient person. I'm sure your mom said to you once or twice, be patient. How many times have you heard that, you think? Too many to count, right? Quite, quite a lot. You see, that, that would be the opposite of being patient. But what James is asking us to do today, calm down. That it, the simplest way to describe this patience is to stay calm. It's to stay calm. And then number two, he tells us to persevere. Uh, perseverance is this. It's an act of endurance in the midst of a difficult circumstance. It's similar to patience, but distinct, distinctively different. It's the ability to stay in the same place no matter the pressure. It's not giving up, but remaining steady. It's the power to withstand hardship or stress. Have you guys ever gone tubing before? You guys, who knows what tubing is? Okay, who does not know what tubing is? Who has ever gone tubing? Raise your hand. Oh, a lot of you are missing out. Tubing is an experience of a lifetime. And anyone can tell you that that went tubing. Uh, you need a boat, no doubt. So you need to either know someone that has a boat or you need to have a boat yourself. But what it is, it's on a river or a lake. You get a boat and uh, preferably a little fast uh, and you get a rope. You tie the rope to the boat and uh, the rope goes back a distance and then there's this awesome inner tube floaty thing that you hang on, all right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's awesome. And it gets crazy. And if your dad's a driver, you know you're going fast. So uh, you know what I'm saying? But tubing, think about it. Think about perseverance in regards to tubing. Maybe you haven't gone, but you can understand the idea, right? The, the, the engine gets going, you're on the inner tube and trust me, you are holding on for your life because if you hit the water, it doesn't feel very well. And so uh, they, they go and if you have a crazy driver, they're gonna go different directions and you're gonna swing that way and you're gonna swing that way and you have to persevere. You gotta hold on, you gotta keep going and, and the people in the boat are encouraging you and say, don't fall off, don't do it. And it kind of hurts, so you don't wanna fall off. You guys can understand the idea, right? That, that is the simplest form of this word perseverance. Keep going, keep going. First, uh, James chapter one. If you guys remember uh, back in July, actually July 5th was the first day that we started this series to the book of James. Uh, kind of crazy. But the first one, if you remember at all, which you probably don't, uh, there's a couple verses that talked about patience. I want to read them to you again. Uh, You can turn a couple pages just to the first of James if you'd like. But James chapter 1, 
Verses three and four says this, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you can recall any, any uh, talking about uh, these couple of verses, uh, the question is how do we let this patience have its work in our life? How do we be patient in the midst of trial? in the midst of being mistreated, in the midst of, man, just feeling this, this suffering and this, this is not cool. How do we be patient? How do we persevere? We know the call, it's clear. James is saying, stay calm and keep going. But how do we do that? Well, there's two ways that we can show patience and perseverance that we see in our text. Look at verse eight. He says, you also be patient. But then he says, he gives direction. He says, establish your hearts. And I love this word establish. It's an awesome word. Uh, establish, when it says to establish your hearts, it means to strengthen or confirm, to, to make more firm or to reinforce or fortify. It's literally to make stronger. Uh, think about it in regards to like a building project. There's going to be a day um, when you get older, uh, hopefully when you grow up, uh, that you're going to be able to buy a house. It'll be a sweet day. Uh, I hope to get to that day soon. Uh, but when you get to that day, uh, sometimes you might buy an older house. An older house, it might be sweet. And you're like, yeah, this is awesome. We got a house. Uh, and say that that house has a deck on the outside. It's like, oh, sweet patio deck. We'll put our barbecue out there and patio furniture, a little bonfire thing. It'll be sweet. Uh, but older houses sometimes are old. Typically, older houses are old, right? And so say the, the, the deck is kind of rotting. It's like, oh man, it's not super safe. I don't know if I want my future kids, you know, to kind of be stepping on these different plank boards. And so you have to go and establish it, meaning that you have to reinforce. You have to take the boards that are weak and replace it with ones that are strong. You have to fortify. You have to establish this or um, maybe... Uh, you're familiar with some kind of uh, different military movies or different things that you've seen or video games where someone would yell out, they would say, we're outnumbered, call in the reinforcements. Why? Because their, their team is now becoming weak and they need to call in more to strengthen them, to reinforce and to establish their position. That's this word. And so James says, one of the ways to be patient and persevere is to establish your heart. But how do you do that? Well, uh, I know firstly, this is something you can't do. This is something you can't do. Uh, the only way that we can establish or reinforce our heart is to allow God to do this in us. We do not have the inward fortitude or inward strength to be able to strengthen our hearts. We don't have the source God is the source and he does the doing. First Thessalonians chapter three, uh, verse 13. You can look it on the screen. It says this, it's a prayer of Paul. And he says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts. Notice it's God doing it. Blameless in holiness before our God and Father at his coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says something very similar. He says, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from 
the evil one. You see, it's God who does the strengthening. I know that might sound like, oh yeah, of course, our, our strength comes from God. No, God does the strengthening. You need to hear this to establish your heart. Uh, notice it's your heart. It's not your liver. God doesn't, James doesn't say establish your pancreas. No, nothing like that. He says establish your heart. Why? Because your heart is the central focus and control center of your actions. You see, if your heart is strong, then that will translate into every part of your life. If your heart is firm, it's fortified, it's solid with the Lord, then what happens on the outside does not matter. And you might be asking, well, Joel, how does this really look though? I, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed, I can't strengthen my own heart. God is supposed to do this. He's, I'm supposed to call in the reinforcements and God's supposed to do that, but how? Well, Ephesians 6.10 puts it very simply. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so number one, you have to realize that that exact thing. You have to come to the conclusion that you don't have it, but God does. But then number two, as First Samuel chapter 30, verse six, which says this, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. If you guys are with us on Wednesdays, maybe this verse will come to memory. You see, David recognized, not number one, he recognized that, okay, God is my source of strength. But number two, I'm gonna go to God for my strength. It's insane how much we do and complain about without ever asking God. And you might, well, that's too simple. It's too easy. It is that easy. Go to the Lord and ask him for strength. Get on your knees and ask him. Beg him. Plead with him. Seek him and simply ask. When you need reinforcements, go to the Lord. Man, how I need to be reminded of that every day. Number two, a way that we can show patience and perseverance is not just establishing our hearts, but that we wouldn't complain. Don't complain. Look at verse nine. Look at verse nine. In chapter five, he says, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When it says grumble, that means to complain or groan, to blame and point the finger. You see, the second part to really being patient, right, is to not complaining about your, is not complaining about your present circumstance. And this is particularly difficult uh, when you are wronged by someone and now you feel like you have the right to complain, that you have the right to point the finger, that you have the right to groan and mumble and bumble about your situation. But James says, you as a believer, you don't. Those rights are taken away in Christ that we can't say, he did this to me, pulling what I like to say, the victim card. Victim card pulled. When you say, oh, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening to me and they did this to me. God says, be patient. And specifically, we're not to grumble or complain or moan about a fellow believer, brother and sister in Christ, another family member in the family of God. But it's so easy to complain, isn't it? Oh, so easy. You know how many things I could complain about right now? Oh my gosh, so many. But I'm not supposed to. Because if in light, my complaints in light of what Jesus has done for me, oh my gosh, they're nothing. And when our situation is difficult, complaining is always the easy way out. It's the easy way out. 
Exodus 16, we see the children of Israel complain against Moses time and time again. They, they complain, we want to go back to Egypt and be slaves. They say that, basically. It's crazy what we complain about. We forget how bad we have it without the Lord, and, but they ultimately complain against the Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says it so simply. I love it. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Pretty simple. You can't really... Uh, misinterpret that. He says that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as light in the world. I love that last part. That we have, we're the, we are the light. That the world complains for sure, but we shouldn't. So what are we to do? Well, it's super clear in my opinion. The call, what to do is super clear. We're to be patient by letting God reinforce and fortify our hearts that our source of strength should be from the Lord, that we shouldn't complain and put the blame on others, but in the midst of mistreatment, in the midst of whatever it might be, that we need to be steadfast in the hard times that are caused by others. So the command and call, again, turn to your neighbor and say, stay calm. Turn to your other neighbor and say, keep going. Be patient and persevere. You got that? What to do? Be patient and persevere. Number two. Number two is why do it? It's so nice, honestly, having the whys. Uh, Sometimes your parents don't really feel like telling you the why. They just feel like telling you what to do. But for me, it helps a lot when people say, hey, this is what you should do, and this is why you should do it. It typically gives motivation and incentive of actually accomplishing that thing, actually doing it. But the good news, guys, today is that you won't have to be patient forever. You won't have to be patient forever. You might say, well, I don't, man, why do we have to be patient? Why should we keep calm and keep going? Why should we let God strengthen us? Why should we not complain against each other? Well, he gives us the reason, and, it's, and just as crystal clear as the command was, the reason is just as clear. It's because this, Jesus is coming back, and he is coming back soon. If you guys, amen, there you go. Amen. Hallelujah. If you guys remember from last week, we touched on that for a moment, right? That life is short, that you could go by rapture or by rupture. We don't know when it's coming. I want to, James kind of continues with that train of thought of look, be patient and persevere because Jesus is coming back. Look again at verse seven. He says, therefore be patient, right? Brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You see, Jesus promised us 2,000 years ago. He promised. He told the disciples and all the future believers, and he said when he was going, he was, uh, was going to be ascending upon, uh, on, he was on the Mount of Olives, the Bible records, and it says that he just started floating towards heaven, waving to his disciples and said, okay, see you, see you later. Don't know what that moment was like at all. But we know that he promised us, and he said, I, would, I will not leave you orphans. He says, I'm going to leave you for a time, but he says, I will come back, I will get you, and I will bring you home. Jesus promised him, and Jesus is God, and God does not lie, and so we can trust him. And so we're to wait for him, we're to be patient and press on, knowing he could come back at any moment. And James encourages them, and he says, be like a farmer. You're like, what? Look again at verse seven. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. But then he says in verse seven, see how the farmer 
waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Anyone like to farm or garden? Right? You're like, I don't know what farming is, but I like to garden, right? Okay. Uh, some of you guys, anyone know like a legit real farmer? You're like, yeah, this guy, like he literally, his job, his income is from the dirt and from the rain and it comes and he produces things. Anyone? Yeah, for sure. Well, if you know anything about that farmer, uh, he's two things. Number one, he works hard. Number two, he's extremely patient. That farmers work hard and that farmers are patient. Look back at verse seven. It says that, that he waits for. You see, in farming, there's a lot of waiting, but a farmer would tell you it's worth the wait. This is where they get their income, their livelihood, how they feed their family. To wait for means to look forward to some occurrence or arrival with expectation and with hope. You see the farmer, he's out there and there is an excitement in the waiting. I don't know if you guys know, um, I, th- I think you guys do, but if you go and plant something, you don't get fruit the next day. Do you guys know that? Okay, that's, that's good. It's a very simple thing. We all know that, right? It takes a little while. It takes some water. It takes some sunlight. It takes some, some, some time. And the farmer knows that, but he's still excited. No doubt farmers go out early in the morning and uh, check on the, the crops and check, oh, is there, any, is there any? Oh, no, not yet, right? And they go out the next morning and there's waiting and there's waiting. Uh, but he has to be patient. And he has to endure through the hard th- seasons, but he is excited. Why? Because what comes out of it is precious. It says that the farmer waits for the precious fruit. Precious precious means that it's of high value or cost, that it's valuable, that he recognizes this. But he also says in in verse seven that, that the farmer waits for the early and the latter rains. And you're like, I don't know what it's talking about here. I didn't know either. I had to kind of look into it and study it a little bit. Well, there's two periods of time uh, back 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean uh, in Israel, uh, two vital times for growth. That once it was when the seeds were being sown, meaning that this, they were planting the seeds for the first time, that around that time there would be, they would plant it right before the rain would come. And then um, a, a while later, right before the harvest, right, right before all, the, our, all of it starts to blossom and bloom, uh, they would plant and, and that would be that would be for the harvest. They, they called it the, the autumn rain and the spring rain. You might be like, I still don't get it. Look at it like this. You see, there were dry seasons and there were wet seasons. Dry seasons were difficult for a farmer. They were because there was no rain. Wet seasons were good because that meant fruit. But through it all, through every season, a farmer needed to remain He needed to stay calm and to keep on. He needed to wait patiently even when it was hard. You guys hearing me? You guys alive? Do you guys understand? He he is using the farmer illustration to parallel how we should be. You see, nothing a farmer could do could speed up the rainfall. People have tried. They've done weird rain dances and crazy different things, but it does not work. That the rain they had to wait for God's appointed time. They had to remain steady and focused. They had to wait patiently. But how? How does a farmer wait patiently? It's not by doing nothing. You see, waiting patiently is not not, not doing something, but instead a farmer 
is taking care of his crops, right? He's getting ready for the rain. He's working hard. And this is the parallel that, that James is trying to get us to understand. That in the meantime, waiting patiently is working hard and staying calm, staying focused, knowing what's going uh, to what's knowing, uh, what's gonna come from it. And in the waiting, guys, you and I, we need to be uh, busy with our father's business. At the end of Luke chapter two, you'll see uh, Jesus. It's, it's kind of funny. You can see him in different stages of life, right? We know about Jesus born in a manger, and then we know about Jesus as an adult doing his ministry stuff and dying on a cross. But there's this unique uh, instance in the end of Luke chapter two that we get to see Jesus. And it shows him as a little kid. Uh, we don't know exactly how old, but his parents were in Jerusalem. And, you know, I'm sure there is a lot of excitement and things going on. And they actually leave because they have a bunch of kids uh, and they leave Jesus behind. They left Jesus behind. And they're on their way back up to Judea, the Sea of Galilee, which is uh, the north of Israel. And then they realize halfway there, we left Jesus. God gave us his son and we left him. And so they go back and they find him like, Jesus, why, why were you not following us? And Jesus' response to them is, I was busy about my father's business. That Jesus was on a mission. That Jesus was waiting until his time, but he was busy until then. And then look, at, look again at verse eight, right? He repeats himself, just like in verse seven, he says, be patient, establish your hearts, but what's the reason, what's the why for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Notice the at hand. Look in verse eight. See where it says at hand? It means that it's time, that the opportunity is now, it's, it's approaching, it's not far away, that the clock is running out. It's like that hourglass. You guys know what an hourglass is? Right, it's with the sand, the glass timer thing before they had watches and iPhones and stuff like that. And the sand, is, it's, it's coming to an end. That you can see, oh man, it's, it's almost time. And the Bible says that Jesus could come back at any moment. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I want you guys to see this. That Jesus, before he left, he said that I'm gonna come back, but it's gonna be in an hour you do not know. You're not going to know when I'm going to come back. So be vigilant, watching, and be ready. This is something called the rapture. We, we hinted again on it last week, but I, I want you guys to see this from Scripture. Knowing that the rapture isn't something that is just made up and it's part of Christian doctrine, but it's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible all over. And I want you guys to see it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Uh, before we read that verse, I want, you guys, I want to hear from you guys. W what is the rapture? What happens during the rapture? Give me some details. Yeah. Okay, for sure. So you kind of blended to two different events. And this is where it kind of gets foggy. Have you guys ever drove in the fog before? And it's like, I, I think this is right, right? And your parents are like, oh, they're scared. They're scared. Okay, so with the, there's something called the rapture, and then there's something called the second coming. Those are two separate and different events. That the rapture of what we're going to look at today in these few verses, the rapture is this. It's when Jesus comes back, but he's not present, that it says that Jesus comes to the clouds and there is a trumpet that sounds. 
over the, the whole earth. Uh, we don't know whether everyone can hear it or just the believers. We don't know. Um, it's all speculation at that point. But there's some kind of trumpet and there's some kind of shout. At that very moment, and it could be now, that in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. Meaning your grandpa, your grandma that believed in Jesus and they're dead now. That at that moment, they will rise from their grave first. Their physical body will meet their spirit. And in an instance, their body will be transformed, figured, and glorified. But right after, right after that happens, so graves are busting open and uh, urns are rattling and going. It's crazy. I don't know what that's going to be like. But in that moment, right after that, after the dead rise, then we follow them like Superman. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be cool. Uh, that's the rapture. Now, the second coming is when it's seven years, at least seven years later, when you and I come back with Jesus. You see, the church, those who believe in Jesus at the rapture, they're in heaven for at least seven years. The second coming is when Jesus is coming, not as a baby, but as a king of war. And he's coming back and it says that he'll strike the nations with the word of his mouth. He'll simply speak and, and, and man will absolutely die. But people will be raging war and we'll be following uh, him on white horses and all this cool stuff. If you guys have more questions about that, let me know. But I want you guys to see this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 describes this rapture scene. Notice this is not about judgment, but it's about taking us away from the earth. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord." You see, we should be waiting and watching with patience and perseverance because this could happen at any moment. Do you guys know what the word incentive means? Sometimes your parents give you incentives and you might not even know it. Uh, your teachers give you incentives. It's, it's when, hey, here's this thing. And if you do this, we'll go and get ice cream, right? Clean your room and, and I'll take you to go do this. Or the, the money that you have to do your chores, that's an incentive, right? Or whatever it might be. You guys can understand that? Our incentive to be patient and to keep going should be that Jesus could come back now. That should be the reason that, okay, God, I'm willing to be patient. Why? Because when he comes, he's going to put an end to all of that. All the suffering, all the pain, all the mistreatment, everything. He's going to put an end to it because why? We're going to be taken up and we don't have to deal with it. And then God's going to be judging the earth. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes, for me, I don't want to be caught complaining. I don't want to be caught with my hand in the cookie jar, in a sense. He comes back, and I'm complaining about something silly. You see, I want to be found patient and not be complaining and busy doing his work. And so, uh, number one, what are we to do? You guys remember? Two P words. What are we to do? Okay, right? We were supposed to keep calm and keep on. And number two, why should we do it? Why should we be patient? Why should we persevere? Yeah. Because Jesus is coming back. Everyone say on three, Jesus is coming back, right? Three, two, one. Jesus is coming back. I did that backwards, but that's okay. On three, three. <laughs> so we get the what, right? We understand the why, but now what kind of examples do we have? 
James wants to bring in and give us uh, who we can look to, the who done it. We saw the what to do, the why do it, and now we're going to look at the who done it. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me in your Bibles. He says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example, someone to be modeled after in our pattern of suffering and patience. In verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So he says that we have these examples. And who are the examples? Uh, Look in verse 10. Who are the examples? You can yell it out. Remember, we're we're talking today. The prophets. All of the prophets. Now, what do you think about when you think of a prophet? Yeah. Speaks about God. For me, I always thought of like a prophet like as a fortune teller, right? They're gonna, like they, they work for the Lord, but they still like, they can tell the future. You know, they have like an orb maybe and they can like, they can see into the future. No, that's not a prophet, right? Uh, that's a weird fortune teller that's totally demonic and weird. But a prophet is someone not a fortune teller, but a forth teller. Meaning that it's someone who is in a certain part of time and they were sent by God to tell forth God's word, not to tell fortunes, okay? Not to read your palms or anything weird like that. And there's a lot. God said, James says, hey, look to the Bible. He says, you're, having, you're struggling with patience. You're struggling with perseverance. And you just kind of want to give up. And you're like, man, life is difficult. Or these people are mistreating me or whatever it might be. James says, look to our examples, our pattern or our models. And there's plenty of them plenty of them. Nehemiah. Do you guys know about Nehemiah? Nehemiah was commissioned by God to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it's an amazing story. He gets there, but there's all these kinds of attack. A lot of people, uh, a lot of pressure and, and the enemy on every side, but he kept on and he carried on. You could go, you could open to the book of Nehemiah, not now, but you could, uh, at home or whatever, and read the story of Nehemiah. And it can be an encouragement to you. Uh, Daniel. Man, do you guys know about Daniel? Talked about it a little bit on this last Wednesday, I believe. But Daniel, with so much pressure to conform to society, with conspiracies, with the king, and you guys know about Daniel, right? That uh, it was sent out that if anyone prays in the name of anyone other than the king, uh, they're going to die. They're going to get put into the lion's den. But David stands firm and he keeps calm and he carries on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, talk about pressure. They wanted them to bow down to other gods, but what do they do? They stand. They don't bow. They stand. Stand so much that they throw them into a fire furnace, and God saves them, and it's awesome, but it's that they kept on. Jeremiah. I don't know if you guys have read about Jeremiah much or heard about him. Jeremiah is a a crazy character in the Bible. I'm not sure if you know Uh, what do you think the biggest book in the Bible is? You always think that, right? Because we think of that there's 150 Psalms, there's the most chapters. Uh, But Jeremiah, word for word, is actually the biggest book in the Bible. Jeremiah, you go for, if you count, considering word count, considering the length of the book, it's actually the book of Jeremiah. And the book of Jeremiah is crazy. Jeremiah was sent by God uh, before he was even born. The Bible says that, that he was uh, formed uh, in, in his mother's womb and God commissioned him, but that he was thrown in dungeons and hated by society. Yet there's times that he wanted to quit, 
but he didn't. If you look in the book of Jeremiah, there's times that he says, God, I'm done speaking for you. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. And it says that the word of God was in him like a fire and he wasn't and he would not give up. You see, they, prophets were so often victims of mistreatment and, uh, mistreatment and uh, of authorities in society. They went, uh, underwent immense suffering and suffering. That They were considered misfits and outcasts, yet in their suffering, they were patient, that they persevered, that they looked to the promise, they kept going, and we are to count them or to consider them blessed. And isn't it true? Don't we look back on guys like Daniel and like, man, that guy was rad. That was awesome. Like, I can't believe he stood up. God saved him from the lion's den. This is awesome. He, he, man, he was blessed. But what if Daniel didn't? What if, he, what if he gave in to what the world wanted? Would we look back on him in, in that way? No. If Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, if they, if they knelt down instead of stood up, would we even talk about them? No. But there are examples because of that, and we count them blessed. Now, it mentions the prophets in verse 10, but then look at verse 11. Uh, it mentions one specific man by name. Who is it? Job, or when I first read it, Job. His name's not Job. His name is Job. Very odd name, but Job, considered to be the first book uh, written ever in the Bible. Uh, it's the oldest book that we have recorded. But Job, uh, anyone know any details about Job's life? Yeah. It describes dinosaurs and, yeah, and Job for sure. But what about Job? What, what happens to Job? Uh, Henry. God gave him more than that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, what's up, Sage? Saying, yeah, no, he, he went through some immense suffering that Job loved God. He loved him. But uh, it says that Satan, he started taking almost everything away from Job, that he took his family away and his kids died, that all of his assets and money was, was gone, his health was gone, and Job suffered. But if you look at the book of Job, there are times where Job uh, seemed to complain, and uh, there's times where I'm sure he wanted to forsake the Lord, but uh, from verse 11, we get that Job persevered, that he was patient, he kept going. But think about the end of the story. Now, for you and I, it's awesome because we can look at the end of Job, uh, but it wasn't so awesome for Job in the middle of his suffering, was it? Not, no. But we can look at the end, and we can see God's intention behind this whole thing. You look at James, uh, sorry, Job chapter 42, it's the last chapter. As Henry was saying, God blessed him more than he ever had in the beginning. The God intent, intent behind it was to give actually more to Job was to bless him more, to be more compassionate and merciful. Look at verse 11. It says that we see the end, meaning we understand the goal, that we see the intended end. It's that purpose, outcome, and result that God was wanting to produce in Job, and God wants to produce in you and me. And what is that, what is that outcome? What is that end? It's that you and I would be able to start experiencing God's compassion and mercy for us firsthand, not secondhand. Things are never as good secondhand. You can hear about it. We hear about God's mercy and his compassion, but as we go through these things, God says you will then know 
not just knowing your head, but knowing your heart, how compassionate and merciful I am. Look at the end of verse 11. It says that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That was the whole end of this. That was the goal. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, that God has a big heart. He's very kind. And we know that, we hear that, but that's good for us to be able to experience. And I can tell you guys uh, from, from just experience that when you go through things for yourself, that you will if you, if you stay patient and you persevere, you will experience God's goodness for your own life. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God, who is rich in mercy, meaning he's not poor in it, he has a lot of it, because of his great love with which he loved us. It's awesome. The Job, I'm sure if we could talk to him today, he would say, yeah, it was worth it. It was hard, but it was worth it. It was worth the wait. And this is what you again, are going to be able to find out firsthand for yourself when life, uh, life's bumps, they come, you're patient, you're, you're keeping calm and you keep going, uh, you'll experience God's goodness in a way that you couldn't otherwise experience. And so uh, just in conclusion today, what are we to do? What are we to do? Be patient and persevere, patient and persevere right? We're to keep calm and keep going. Again, turn to your neighbor and say, stay calm. Turn to your other neighbor and say, keep going. Keep going. Okay, so that's, that's clear that we are, we are to let the Lord establish and reinforce our heart. We're not to complain, but why? Why should we do that? Do you guys remember? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back soon. That we're to look for his return. That we are to be like that farmer, right? We're to be busy about our father's work. So we see the what to do, the why, did, why should we do it, and we have all the examples, the who done it. We, we have these examples in God's word, but are we reading it? I'd encourage you guys, you need encouragement, go to God's word. Open up to the book of Daniel. Open up to the book of Nehemiah. Read the book of Jeremiah. You'll need a little while to read it, but you can do it. And we need to remind ourselves today that God's intention toward us is good, we need to hear this today. I need to hear this today that God's intention, meaning his heart for you, is good. It's good. And he really does love and care about what concerns you. I want you to think about just right now in your heart, what's, what's concerning you right now? What's giving you anxiety or, man, just worrying you or what's really something that's laying heavy on your heart? God cares about those things. And he's compassionate and merciful. And we know like Job that not only do we have a God who loves us, we have an enemy who hates us. That the Bible says that he's roaring and roaming and he wants to paralyze our life. And so let's commit today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I want you guys to read this verse with me, all right? So on, on the, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna count down from three and when I get to one, we'll, we'll start it, all right? I want you guys to read this out loud. Three, two, one. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. First Corinthians 15, 15. You don't have to read that part. That's okay. Guys, notice how it talks about always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's that being busy about our Father's business. And when we're doing that, 
be steadfast. We'll be immovable. And God will give us patience and that perseverance. But it's God who does that strengthening. And so uh, as Alex comes up, we'll pray. And then we're going to close in a song of worship. God, we come to you and... uh, God, we thank you for all of the examples that we have in your word, that we can look to them and take encouragement and see uh, someone who went through as much stuff as Job, Lord, came out the other side better than he started. Lord, that's how you work. It's amazing. God, I pray that for everyone in here that that we can experience your compassion and your mercy. And sometimes uh, that's through difficult things. Sometimes we Uh, need those things to happen in our life to be able to see clearly, to be able to have the right kind of vision and uh, to be able to see you in the way that we need to. God, today I I pray for everyone in here. Lord, uh, I know that there's lots of families represented here. For each person, there's a family. God, and and the enemy, Satan, he hates the family. And I know he would love to sow discord and disunity and Lord, I just pray for everyone here. Whatever work that the enemy is doing in their life, would you uh, just obliterate it? Would you flip it upside down on its head, Lord, that your work would just continue? God, for anyone in here who might just be feeling overwhelmed, God, they might just be feeling like they're done, that maybe no one understands them or just some circumstance or situation that they're going through. God, would you just remind them to just keep calm and to keep going because you're coming back. Lord, that's what we want to leave today with with reminding ourselves that you're coming back, Lord. And so we are excited. And so we're going to wait for you. We're going to look with anticipation. We're going to be ready and watching. And uh, we don't want to be ashamed, God. Lord, we know that there's going to be that day where the rapture happens and all of a sudden we're in heaven with you. And what a shame it would be Lord, if we would be there and we would be ashamed because we weren't living right, God, would you be our incentive? Would we, Lord, not get distracted with the things of the world, but would be focused on the things of heaven? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.